the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and uh, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I had to really think about that because I've been gone for the last couple of days. And I have to tell you, it was glorious. You may not know, but Dan Rice and I celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary, May the 8th, 1982. And so we just hung out. We drove to the beach and spent some time there. We went and saw a movie. We never go see a movie. We went to a nice dinner. We just had a great time reminiscing and talking about the life that we have shared for the last 36 years, uh, which, by the way, we weren't sure we were going to get to celebrate. As you might recall, Dan was quite, um, quite ill last year. And while the issue isn't entirely resolved, he's much better and is able to function. We did get a, in fact, when Dan was first told by his cardiologist, we did get a new diagnosis. He was told that his aortic root, he has an aortic root aneurysm, uh, which is not a good thing. um, And it could result in death very quickly. I did read, though, that if it erupts on a weekday, you have a much better chance of survival than you do on a weekend when they're not staffed as uh, thoroughly as they are during the week. So you read something like that, and after you cry a little bit, you just think, you know what, we're going to do what we've done every day for the last 36 years, and for each of us years before that, because we've come to faith in Christ, we're going to trust God with today and tomorrow and the day after that. And after that day is over, we're going to trust him with that day and just move forward. Uh, We're grateful for the days that God has given us, and we're just going to move forward with joy. So anyway, 36 years, I'm feeling pretty good about the whole thing. We've decided he's uh, almost off of probation. Not quite, but almost. I'll let you know when that that clears up. Well, taking a look at uh, so much news that accumulated over the last uh, several days, it's really kind of staggering when you come back and try to make sense of it all and imagine having to talk about some of it. I want to start with sort of an overview of developing stories from the last couple of days, although I'm sure we'll leave some things out. But among the uh, the top news stories, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, Schneiderman, he resigned after allegations of violence against women, drug abuse, and more surfaced. He, of course, was the New York Attorney General that sort of led the hashtag resist movement against the president. Also, Hawaii residents voice uh, uh, demand answers as two cracks in the ground were reported and the Kilauea volcano continued to wreak havoc. Now, I think I may have mentioned that Clark, who engineered the program up until the day he left for his vacation, was in Hawaii. And of course, I and everyone else was concerned about how close he was in proximity to what was happening there. I learned later that he was nowhere near the area, but it still made for some dramatic questioning later. Also, Walmart announced that it, uh, it's going to limit opioid prescriptions at pharmacies with a nationwide drug epi- epidemic, and they want to do their part. And then a little closer to today, President Trump said the U.S. will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. Critics see uh, the decision as Trump's latest move to undo the Obama legacy. Now, putting that into perspective, this was not a treaty. That's how it should have been advanced. 
this wasn't the nation's word. It essentially was the president's because he knew he could not get the support in the Senate from Democrats or Republicans that he needed to make this an official constitutional treaty. And uh, so moving forward, President Trump did um, what he had the authority to do, and that was to uh, to withdraw. Uh, in other news, uh, ex-con mining boss Dan, uh, Don Blankenship, he failed in his uh, U.S. Senate run in West Virginia. He lost to State Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, Indiana businessman Mike Braun, and Ohio Representative Jim Rassani, Renasi, I think is more accurate. Uh, they won the GOP Senate primaries. Incumbent U.S. Representative uh, Robert Pittenger lost in North Carolina to Reverend Mark Harris. And while those names may not mean a whole lot to you, it says something about the midterm elections that everyone's salivating over because it will determine which of the two major parties uh, predominates in the House or the Senate. Also, Gina Haspel, President Trump's choice to head the CIA, and by many accounts, the most qualified we've ever had uh, seeking uh, leadership in that position, uh, faced Senate uh, Intelligence Committee questions today as her confirmation hearing got underway. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was in North Korea making preparations for the president's anticipated summit with Kim Jong-un. What we didn't know was while he was there, he was, um, in fact, uh, gathering up three U.S. citizens who had been held there for more than a year in prison in North Korea. They are currently on their way back to the United States, are expected at about 2 a.m. Eastern Time, 11 p.m. Pacific Time. All three were believers. Two had served as uh, professors at the university. Another did another kind of work. Nonetheless, all three of them will be returning to the United States in much better shape than the young man who uh, returned to the United States in something of a coma some months ago. And a firm uh, linked to a Russian oligarch made more than $1 million in payments to Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, according to a report. That is uh, still a developing story. Well, President Trump tweeted that he would announce a decision Tuesday, which he did on whether the United States would remain in the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, saying at that time, I will be announcing my decision. He did so at the White House 2 p.m. on Tuesday. He tweeted that on Monday. He had given himself till May the 12th, a deadline over the deal, uh, which he had long criticized and promised during his campaign that he would uh, withdraw from it. He did just that. Earlier in the day, he uh, blasted former Secretary of State John Kerry for shadow diplomacy with reports that he'd met with Iran Foreign Minister Javad Zarif uh, as part of a bid to salvage the nuclear deal. By the way, that's against the law. We'll maybe have time to get into that a bit later. And New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, a longtime pillar of New York's Democratic establishment, uh, Trump critic, supporter of the hashtag MeToo movement, announced his resignation on Monday night, hours after the New Yorker, the magazine, published allegations of abuse and controlling behavior by four women who had romantic relationships or encounters with him. He was accused in the wide-ranging report uh, of uh, hitting, choking without consent women, asking uh, well, a number of other things, which I'm not going to go into anyway. He has uh, stepped away. He was leading one of the charges in uh, pursuing a suit against the uh, the president, uh, which uh, I assume will be taken up by another uh, state attorney's general. More than 100 frustrated residents packed into uh, Paoa High School's cafeteria demanding uh, the, the county, the state, federal officials be straight with them on the danger still developing in Kilauea. Hawaii's most active volcano continues its path of destruction. And I suppose it's not that easy to predict what's going to happen as it has a mind and will of its own. So trying to to give some 
direction, some assurance, some indication of how long they would be separated from their homes was very difficult uh, to do. Uh, So far, more than 35 structures, 26 of them homes have uh, burned down that number increasing. And as I mentioned, Walmart is uh, is uh, tackling opioid crisis. They announced on Monday they're going to begin to restrict opioid prescriptions to help stem the deadly drug ec- epidemic. Walmart and Sam's Club pharmacies are set to limit customers' opioid prescriptions to a seven-day supply with up to a 50 morphine milligram equivalent maximum per day, the company said in their news, uh, news release. The new rules align with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's guidelines, which suggest three days or less Uh, will often be sufficient for those prescribed the painkillers, and more than seven days will rarely be needed. Walmart's going to follow state laws for those uh, which require opioid prescriptions to be filled for less than seven days. And by the way, yesterday, May the 8th, 1945, President Harry S. Truman announced on radio that Nazi Germany's forces had surrendered and that the flags of freedom flew all over Europe. Well, President Trump announced on Tuesday the United States would withdraw, as we mentioned, from the 2015 Iran deal. Since taking office in 2017, he had repealed or rescinded dozens of regulations, executive orders, international agreements implemented by the previous administration over the eight years of uh, President Obama's uh, term. Meanwhile, the head of Iran's Parliamentary Committee on National Security said Wednesday that the country is preparing to continue spending on its ballistic missile program, a direct response to Trump's decision. Now, it may be a direct response, but they've been doing it all along, despite the fact that there are U.N. sanctions against them uh, for doing just that. Harry Kazian's uh, or something like that said that Trump um, uh, killing the deal was deeply flawed or rather killing the deeply flawed deal is the right move. And the president, uh, the former president, Obama, called Trump's withdrawal from the Iran deal misguided. John Bolton on the Ingram angle pulling said that pulling out of the deal um, got back to the real objective of stopping Iran's nuclear ambitions. And Boeing's Iran deal is now in question. Well, we're going to continue with some of uh, the developing stories from the last couple of days. We're also going to talk with uh, Dr. Mark Strong. He is the author most recently of The Blessing Maker, How to Turn Your Nothing into Something and Your Something into Everything. No, it's not magic. We're going to talk about how God works with his flawed and weak people, you know, people like you and me. Later in the five o'clock hour, we'll talk with Jim Phillips, Senior Research Fellow for Middle Eastern Affairs at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about this 2015 uh, Iran uh, nuclear agreement, and we'll talk with Olivia Enos. She is a policy analyst in Asian studies at the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. We'll talk about the three detainees from the United States who have been held in North Korea and what this all might mean in the broader context. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we will be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. He is the author of The Blessing Maker. By the way, he's the author of several books, but his latest is The Blessing Maker, How to Turn Your Nothing into Something and Your Something into Everything. Looking forward to that conversation. And of course, uh, Pastor Strong is the pastor of Life Change right here in the Portland area. All right. Well, you might recall a um, little known law that... Uh, makes it illegal. It's called the Logan Act. It's about 219 years old. The law it makes it illegal for someone to undertake, well, advocating for the nation if they don't have that position. You might recall the Democrats went pretty uh, gaga over a little known, uh, that little known law. They claimed an advisor to President Trump violated following the 2016 presidential campaign, which, in fact, if the law had been violated, 
charges should have been brought. Well, the shoe's on the other foot now, and both the Democrats and the media that supported uh, them have grown strangely quiet. I like it when there's a single standard. I don't care which side of the political aisle you're on. The law should apply to everyone equally. That's not always how it works, however. Well, the law in question, as I mentioned, is the 219-year-old Logan Act. It makes it a felony for Americans to negotiate with foreign powers in an effort to undermine the U.S. in a dispute. Well, the law is little known for a reason. Just two people have ever been tried under the Logan Act, and neither was convicted. But that didn't stop um, the Democrats and their deep state allies when they They wanted to use it to investigate Trump's former national security advisor, Lieutenant General Mike Flynn, in 2016. Well, Democrats in the media, they claim that Flynn's uh, conversations with Russia's U.S. ambassador somehow was a violation of the Logan Act. Let's be clear, under no reasonable legal interpretation could one assume that Flynn violated the Logan Act and it went nowhere. But now a report in the Boston, uh, Boston Globe rather, asserts that former Secretary of State John Kerry may have stepped over the line when it comes to the Logan Act. With the Iran nuclear deal it was facing at the time, its gravest threat since it was signed in 2015... And then Secretary of State uh, John Kerry was uh, in favor of it. Well, Kerry has been on an aggressive yet stealthy mission to preserve uh, that uh, agreement, which President Trump announced we would be withdrawing from, using his deep list of contacts gleaned during his time as a top U.S. diplomat to try to apply pressure on the Trump administration from the outside, the Globe wrote. President Trump, who has consistently criticized the PAC and campaigned in 2016 on scuttling it, faces a May 12th deadline to decide whether to continue abiding by its terms. We know how that turned out. Well, Kerry met with Iranian Foreign Minister Javed Zarif at the U.N. about preserving the deal. He also has contacted German President Frank Walter Steinmeier, European Union official Frederica Magherini, and French President Emmanuel Macron in, uh, to interfere in President Trump's possible decision to abrogate the Obama administration's uh, terrible nuclear deal with Iran. If there ever was a violation of the Logan Act, well, this would be it. Kerry is not an elected official. He is a private citizen. He's undermining the uh, position of a sitting elected U.S. president and his duty, his duly appointed representatives. Um, but we're not hearing much hue and cry as of yet. But the Globe did go into detail about uh, what he had been doing, which was... Quite clearly a violation of the act. Meanwhile, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and Chinese President Xi Jinping, they met secretly in northern China on Monday and Tuesday, marking the third time Kim has left the hermit kingdom since he took power six and a half years ago. Again, significant. He's walking away from his country into another space. And that's something he has not done or had not done. Well, the stealth summit, which was only announced by China state television after Kim had flown out of the country, comes ahead of the high stakes nuke talks with the United States. Rumors of a visit by King or another rather Kim or another high level diplomat were sparked when a mysterious plane from North Korea landed in the Chinese port city of uh, Delian on Monday. Uh, according to the news agency there. Uh, the leaders had an all-round and in-depth exchange of views on China, North Korea relations, and major issues of common concern, the Chinese news agency later reported. During Monday and Tuesday meetings, Kim reiterated his uh, commitment to North Korea's denuclearization, adding that the regime didn't need nuclear weapons if a relevant party drops its hostile policy and security threats against it. Now, again, let me quote this. What he means by it, we can certainly question 
question, but the quote is, Kim reiterated his commitment to North Korea's denuclearization. And the question always is, what does he mean by that? But according to the Chinese press, adding that the regime didn't need nuclear weapons if a relevant party drops its hostile policy and security threats against it. I hope to build mutual trust with the United States through dialogue, Kim was quoted as saying, I think everyone's approaching this um, meeting and the possibilities with a healthy bit of skepticism, but it is rather interesting to watch this whole thing unfold, keeping in mind that um, overhead we have three U.S. citizens who have been released from a North Korean prison, which isn't the first time, but uh, it is unique in this context, uh, being returned to their home and to their families. Well, I'm not even going to get into that. We're just going to we're going to leave that off the table. We'll get into this. The midterm elections are coming up, as you uh, probably already know. West Virginia's Attorney General Patrick Morrissey pulled off an upset in the state Senate Republican primary on Tuesday, defeating former coal executive Don Blankenship and U.S. Representative Evan Jenkins in the uh, combative and colorful race. That's one way of putting it. That saw a last minute appeal from President Trump. The results could be seen as a victory for Trump, who had urged Republican voters to reject Blankenship as doomed to lose to a incumbent, rather, Democrat Senator Joe Manchin in November. That's the big matchup. It could also be seen as a win for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who clashed with Blankenship during the campaign, or at least Blankenship clashed with him. Meanwhile, Indiana businessman Mike Braun and Ohio Representative Jen Renassi, they also um, won both of their uh, state Senate, uh, rather, uh, state's Republican Senate primaries, according to uh, to decision desk. In all three states, voters picked Republican nominees to take on some of the most vulnerable incumbent Senate Democrats in this year's midterm elections. Republicans had a slim 51-49 advantage in the Senate, and that's what everyone, of course, is eyeing, whether or not that margin will hold, if it will um, shrink, or if, in fact, they'll grow numbers in the, um, in the Senate. Well, coming up in just uh, just a couple of minutes, in fact, we're going to talk with Dr. Mark Strong. His latest book is The Blessing Maker, How God Can Turn Your Nothing Into Something and Your Something Into Everything. The book has a foreword by Dr. Bruce Wilkinson. And of course, uh, Mark Strong is the lead pastor of Life Change Church here in Portland. He holds a Doctor of Ministry degree in Leadership and Spirituality from George Fox Seminary. And he is the author of Church for the Fatherless and Divine Merger. He's also written The Freedom Factor, with the number one New York Times bestseller-selling author, Dr. Bruce Wilkinson. In addition, he is the founder of the Father Shift Conference, a conference that reveals the father and heals the wounds associated with father pain. He does much more, but our time doesn't permit me to go into all of that right now. I'll give you a little more when he joins me in studio here in just a few moments. Also, in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Jim Phillips, and we, uh, we'll talk about the Iran deal. And uh, it was agreed upon by the president in 2015 without the support of the Senate, which is required by uh, law. But we'll find out what this means moving forward and what's next. We'll also talk with Olivia Enos. She is a a policy analyst in Asian studies at the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. We'll talk about the three detainees who are making their way home even as we speak. Um, and the president is going to greet them at 2 a.m. in Washington, D.C. as they make their way uh, back home to the United States after spending time in a North Korean prison for over a year. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You know, I do this show pretty much every day, and there are days that, you know, kind of go through the motions. There are days you really look forward to, and today is one of those days, because with me in studio is Dr. Mark Strong. He's a, um, a pastor here in the Portland metro area. He is an author and so much more. His latest book is titled The Blessing Maker, How God Can Turn Your Nothing Into Something and Your Something Into Everything. From the uh, jacket of the book, he writes, your dream doesn't have to die because you feel you don't have enough of something. And I think that's true for many of us. We don't feel like we have the right stuff. It goes on to say, what you may consider to be insufficient is not a deal breaker, but a deal maker. Your nothing is the very stuff he makes miracles with. It's the stuff blessings are made of. Now, if your ears aren't perked up just a little bit, you didn't hear me (laughs) clearly enough, but we're going to talk about it. Dr. Strong is uh, foremost a lover and follower of Jesus Christ. Before his commitment to Christ, he was, he struggled a bit academically, and there's a story in that we could probably spend the whole time talking about. He has earned a master's degree in biblical studies from Western Evangelical Seminary, a doctor of ministry degree in leadership from George Fox Seminary. He serves on the board of regents at George Fox Seminary and speaks at colleges, schools, and seminaries. He, along with his uh, lovely wife, Marla, have served as senior pastors of Life Change Church here in Portland since 1988. And by the way, that's the same church that he came to faith in Christ attending. He's also the chairman of the 1145, an, an organization that works with, ex, uh, with uh, it works extensively rather with the city of Portland, the judicial system, Multnomah County, churches and other social agencies to help youth uh, who are gang affected, fatherless and disenfranchised. And think we've had you on to talk about that before. We need to have you back to bring us up to date on that as well. Anyway, we are just delighted to have you with us today to talk about your latest book, The Blessing Maker, How God Can Turn Nothing into Something and Your Something into Everything. Okay, now this is hard to believe for those of us who look in our hands and we see nothing there, um, to think that God could use what we lack in order to provide what's needed. Yes, I think, you know, a lot of times what we do is we start with the premise that if we have a... uh, a dream from God or God is showing us something, then we have to have the the million dollar check or the object, whatever it is in our hands and has to be there and ready to go. But when you look through the scriptures, God very rarely started a dream or initiated a dream with every resource, every provision uh, present. And his, his heart and his desire is, is that for us to know that, uh, He's ultimately our provider. He's ultimately our provision. So for the believer, the dream is not just having the stuff to make the dream happen, but it's getting to know the God of the dream in the process of that dream coming to fulfillment. You know, I appreciate your emphasizing that because God is a God of purpose and sometimes depriving us of the thing that we might have in our hand draws us closer to him. And we recognize, first of all, the great privilege it is that he chooses to use us, I mean, that that blows me away just thinking about that, but that he is our provision yes. in everything. Yes. I know one of the things, like, uh, this book is actually kind of, you know, how you, you have your different, uh, like, a life message. This is this is what I've lived for the last, you know, close to 30-something years. So I remember when we first bought our building over in uh, North Portland, it was an old dilapidated building called Craigos. It was kind of a, a, a grocery store slash uh, drug house or whatever, um, you'd kind of be afraid to go there because if you did, somebody might steal something out of your car or, or whatever. But God gave us a dream to be able to to start a church there. Now, when we had the dream, we had absolutely nothing to buy that building with. In fact, in the book, I talk about 
how I went to talk to the owner of the building. And I said, well, how much would you be willing to sell this building for? And he told me, he said, uh, first off, he looked at me, he said, well, young man, you seem a bit ambitious here to uh, try to get a building this big. And then he started laughing. He said, well, I'll sell to you for $400,000. Well, he might as well have said a billion dollars. <laughs> so I think at the time we probably had maybe, you know, seven or $8,000 in the bank as a church. But God gave us that dream. And I think, you know, for people's lives, it might not be a church building, but it could be, it could be a number of things that God puts in your heart. And sometimes it's so far down the road or it seems so big or so out of the realm of possibility. But, you know, God's not a, uh, he's not a joker. He's not a person that plays games with you. You know, if he puts something in your heart and it's of him and from him, then he's going to be faithful to fulfill it and make it come to pass. Now, we live at a time in the 21st century where there doubt seems to abound. We see at every turn there's there's visible evidence of the curse that we uh, read about in Scripture. You encourage us that where um, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Help us to really appreciate that as we return again to the notion that we can dream as God gives us a dream that he wants to fulfill. Yeah, I think, uh, Georgine, uh, one of my favorite Christmas carols is Joy to the World. And one of the verses that just kind of gets me, when it comes to Christmas carols and Christmas songs, I'm a, my wife will tell you, I'm a crybaby. I, <laughs> I hear the little drummer boy, I have no gift to bring before the king. I just start crying. I'm like, oh, God, I have nothing to give you, but you love me anyway. And so uh, with Joy to the World, the uh, verse says, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And the curse in, in, in human life and in our world goes very, very, very deep. And we ultimately know that the ultimate blessing, the ultimate blessing is God's son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to die for us. That's, that's the ultimate blessing. But in terms of how that's articulated to the world and how people experience that and how they receive that, the package of the wrapping that it comes in, it's, it, it varies. And so one of the ways that God allows his blessings to flow is he finds ordinary people like you, like me, uh, who, who love him and have a passion and a desire and a dream to share his love with the world in all different kind of ways. And so what he does is he makes that person, as they uh, you know, learn, as they share in the book, learn how to uh, give what God has given them. As, he, as they submit that to him, offer that to them, then what God does is God helps them to be a blessing maker. So the way that he... Uh, uh, causes blessing to flow as far as a curse is found is not through just this ethereal spirit or some kind of weird stuff, but no, he uses ordinary common people to make his blessings flow. And that's you and me and everyone else. He wants to be the blessing makers. Now in our culture, we tend to gravitate toward people who are visibly gifted. They, they have an abundance of this or that. And we assume that those are the people that God will call. Those are the things that you need in order to be uh, to reach the, the world for Christ or to make an impact. And yet what you're suggesting and what the scriptures teach is God uses regular. He used Balaam's donkey for, right. you know, to speak at one point. He uses regular people. And if we don't if we don't see ourselves as being fitting in that that category, um, that God will use us. He can use us. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the uh, there's a chapter call from ordinary to extraordinary. So the the the, the base of the book is is uh, uh, found on the miracle of the loaves and the fish. When Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed, the story says 5,000 people, but that's 5,000 people include not including uh, women and children. Mm-hmm. It's going to be 5,000 men, not including women and children. So that could have been upwards to fifteen to 20,000 people. Now think about that. Five loaves of bread, 
uh, two small fish. They feed 20,000 people. That was an incredible miracle. Yes, people ate and their stomachs were filled, but also there had to be something going on in their heart, like who is God? How could this happen? What, you know, what, uh, what would make this take place? So ultimately, God got the glory out of that. So just like God can use an ordinary, uh, I'll call it a lunchable, you know, <laughs> with a couple <laughs> crackers and a couple pieces of salami and a few pieces of cheese and maybe some Skittles in there, God can use an ordinary person's life to do extraordinary things. One of the uh, quotes in the book that I like, it said, um, I, I write in there, how that God's God desires to step out on the stage of nothing so that he can show himself to be everything to the world around us. And that's what he does. God doesn't want a pearly, uh, a, a stage that's glittering and glowing where the stage or the individual gets all the attention. No, God wants a stage that's, that's mm-hmm. raggedy and rickety so that when he does the spectacular and the beautiful, people are going to look past uh, the individual and they'll say, this is something special that God did to that person. And that's what he really wants to do through us. You write in the book about 10 life-tested movements that God uses to make his and your dream uh, to bless others come true. And I want to review them in just a few moments. But I also want to uh, talk a little bit about your story. You, uh, in your, your biography, you uh, make the point that when you graduated from high school, you were not a candidate for a PhD, (laughs) certainly. And yet God has elevated you in areas that you would never have expected possible. Can you tell a little bit of your story? Yeah, I was, uh, um, I went to high school. I was more worried about being cool than educated. (laughs) 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 And so I just, you know, it wasn't, I was a bad kid or, or, you know, I was a terrible student, but uh, I just, academically, it just wasn't happening. I, uh, I was in, the Philippines preaching a couple of weeks ago and they got a big kick out of this. But I was in a, when I was in a junior, I was in an English class and I knew I was in trouble because we were all, we were sitting around the circle, we were reading a book and uh, the teacher said, okay, everybody read a, read a couple sentences out loud. So one person read, they kind of read through it kind of slow. Then another person read through it kind of slow. And then the guy who was sitting next to me, he was reading and uh, he got to a, got to a point in the, uh, the, the book we were reading and uh, he saw the word C apostrophe M O N, and the way he pronounced it was Simone. And I said, "Okay, I know I'm in trouble. If I'm in a classroom and we're saying, 'Come on, Simone,' I know I've <laughs> I know I've got some work to do. So, so that was that was kind of my that was kind of just where I was. And so, you know, I got out, I graduated from high school by the skin of my teeth, went to college, took some writing courses didn't have a clue what I was doing. I honestly, to my own shame, I hate to say, say this, but like in my kids, you know, they, thank God they do way better than me. And, uh, and, uh, their mom always tells me, you do not follow your dad's testimony. Don't follow his <laughs> testimony. But I couldn't, I couldn't even construct a paragraph. I couldn't even, I couldn't, I never, to my own shame, I don't even know if I even read a, a book, a whole book through high school. But once I, you know, gave my life to Christ and God, uh, just, you know, took control of my life. He put a desire in me to have a discipline. Started first with prayer and then reading the scriptures. And then it was a slow process where I would go to the tutor's office for every single paper uh, for a couple years. And and uh, she, her name was Sally Seabury, and she would sit down with me and she would say, okay, this is how you're going to do a sentence. And this is how you use this. And this is how you use that. And eventually I kind of got, kind of got, got the hang of it, but, but I didn't have anything. And so now here it is years later, and God has uh, has blessed me to be able to write, uh, you know, a number of different books, write with some great authors and give me some, you know, wonderful opportunities 
But it, but from the onset, it was like, this is nothing. I could even, I'm 20 years old and I can even write a paragraph. And I just want to emphasize, and a PhD. Yeah, DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, praise God yes. for that. Amen. Um, as I mentioned, you offer um, 10 movements um, that God uses to make his and our dreams uh, to bless, uh, bless others come true. We're going to get into that in just okay. a moment. I do need to take a break, sure. so we'll uh, get right back to it. Okay. Again, we're talking with Dr. Mark Strong. He's pastor of Life Change here in Portland. The book is titled The Blessing Maker, and that's a description of what you and I are to be when God gives us his dream and we carry it out with his strength and his purpose. How God can turn your nothing into something and your something into everything. I think all of us can start out with nothing, so we're candidates to yeah. be blessing makers. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. With me in studio is Dr. Mark Strong. He is the author most recently of The Blessing Maker, How God Can Turn Your Nothing into Something and Your Something into Everything. He's also the pastor at Life Change Church here in Portland, holds a Doctor of Ministry degree in Leadership and Spirituality from George Fox Seminary. Now, where do we begin if we want to be blessing makers, if we want to bless the community that God has placed us in? Where do we start? Okay, I, the, the starting place is with what God has placed in your heart, your, your, your dream, God's dream. And, and uh, let me just kind of back up. One of the things I want to say about a book like this is that sometimes people think God's like a slot machine. You know, you, I have a dream so I can just put my quarter in and I can pull it down. I'll get lemon, 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 and whatever I want happens. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not what this is about. What it's about is uh, you and I synchronizing our heart with God's heart so that there's something in, our, in us that may not necessarily be in alignment with what God's dream is. He has the permission to tweak that and to sync that to make it what it is that he wants it to be. So, you know, God, God himself is a dreamer. Dream starts with, starts with God. So, you know, when God, before God made this world, before God made you, uh, we existed as a dream in, in his heart. And so what he does is he finds people that he can share his master dream with. So the master dreamer finds uh, people like you and I whom he can uh, impart and share that, with, that dream with to begin to make it happen. And so once we identify that and we can identify that there's something in our hearts and our hands that God wants to use, there's a number of movements that I just kind of share with you uh, in the book that that allow you to, to collaborate with God and partner with God to see that dream come to place, come to pass. And so the first thing I talk about is uh, from blindness to revision. So when you look at the miracle of the loaves and the fish, loaves and the fish, for the disciples, they were seeing an absolute nightmare. Here it is. I mean, you can't blame them. They've been out all day long, and uh, uh, these it's it's getting late. The people want food to eat. What are they going to do? They know that the people are going to be stamping them in a matter of moments to uh, try to have their appetite satisfied. Now, I know how it is. There's, there's uh, my wife, and we have four kids. And if we're in a car and we're traveling a long time, everybody gets hungry. It's like, <laughs> man, <laughs> it's like, watch out. It's like my wife's like, are you going to feed your kids or what? I'm like, honey, we're going to a half hour ago. We'll, we'll, no, feed your kids. So so the disciples, they were looking at, they were looking at these people, and they were like, this is an absolute problem all these people but the way jesus saw it was vastly different he the bible says he saw them like sheep without a shepherd so he was looking through a totally different lens uh in terms of viewing the
the problem, viewing the situation, viewing the people. And so it has to happen in our hearts and our lives. We think about God uh, turning our nothing into something, our something, everything. We have to go through a process whereby there's a, a, a revisioning. So we begin to see things the way that God sees them. We don't always see them the right way. Um, you know, I share a little bit of my story here in, in this chapter as well, too, about how, you know, uh, for a while I was looking at, at our neighborhood. I was like, this is so bad. I'd see the drug dealers. I'd see the prostitution. I would see just the 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 uh, the poverty. And I'm looking at these kind of things. and I'm seeing the people. I'm like, man, why are these guys doing that? And, and even though I was a pastor, I was not looking the right way. And so what has to happen is we have to allow the Lord to to uh, take us through a process where we can begin to see people through his eyes because he sees people vastly different than mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next chapter is from scarcity to sufficiency. And I think most of us can relate to the first half of that, yeah. but maybe not the second. Yeah. Let me tell you how, let me tell you how uh, the, the lesson the Lord told me about this. I was in Puerto Rico preaching and it was a nice, warm Puerto Rican night. Uh, the service was over. He had a great service. The Lord was blessed. And I thought I did a pretty good job. Right. And so, uh, after the service, the interpreter comes and he has this little Puerto Rican grandmother with him. And she says, uh, he says, uh, the Lord's laid a word on her heart for you. She has something she wants to tell you that she believes from the Lord. So it's noisy and loud in there. So I kind of lean down and, uh, the grandma whispers to his ear and then he screams in my ear, pastor. And I'm like, Dude, I'm I'm right here. I can I can hear you. I can hear you. And so it didn't fade. So she said she speaks uh, you know more words in Spanish, and then she said then he goes, the Lord is telling her to tell you. The Lord says that you are the problem. You're the problem for your family. You're the problem for your church, and you're the problem for your community. And in my mind, I'm smiling. I got my pastor smiling. You know, pastor know how to do that. Put a smile on. And, it, and in my heart, I'm thinking. Who is this crazy lady? Who's this crazy lady? So you know, sometimes the Lord speaks something to you, and it's it's precious. You kind of write it in your Bible. Well, I didn't write that in my Bible. <laughs> I didn't put it anywhere. I said, okay, I got in a plane. I flew across the ocean. I left that word right where it was. I left with that crazy grandma and that crazy interpreter. So a friend of mine, a friend of mine had a uh, uh, said, okay, I want to bless your family. So I want to let, let your family go on a cruise. So. He uh, paid for all my family going on a cruise. My wife was probably about five months pregnant. The doctor said, you're pushing. She goes, no, I want to go on this cruise. So we get there. And uh, at the time, my my uh, oldest son's about maybe six. My daughter's about, you know, four. And, and they're, they're like little tykes. And so we're at the table eating and we're conversing with our friends. And so, you know, kids are kids. So my son spills this orange juice down the table. And I'm thinking, okay, he's spilling the juice on the table. You know, we're trying to have this godly conversation about uh, the kingdom of God. And then he starts to put French fries in it and float <laughs> the French fries down the table like a boat. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh. And then all of a sudden he starts making his noise like, ah, and he takes ketchup packages. <laughs> and he starts squirting ketchup. And so I look at my wife. I'm, I'm, my wife looks at me and she's like, get your kids, get your kids. And, you know, you know husband, wife, you know, you have that nonverbal thing that goes <laughs> yes. on. And and so she's giving that eyes like, get your kids, get your kids. And I kind of look back at her, ma'am, you're mistaken. These are your children. <laughs> <laughs> so so right 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 in the <clears throat> excuse me, so right in the middle of all this chaos, I hear the Lord speaks to me. He said, Mark, you are the problem. And I turned around and said, Man, how did that Puerto Rican grandma get on this get on this boat? 
<laughs> and so, and so, but right when I heard those words, I knew what the problem was. And the problem was I had allowed myself to, I developed a mindset that totally squeezed God out of the picture of him doing what he wanted to do. It was just like the disciples. It's too late. It's too late of a day. Um, three months wages couldn't feed all these people. Uh, send them away so they can get something to eat. And it was like, that was the tape that was playing in my mind. And God was saying to me, you're the problem because you have this scarcity mentality and I want to provide sufficiency so that I can work through your life and work through the church to be able to bless the community around you. And sometimes we have that mindset. We don't even realize that it's even there. Yeah. (laughs) What a a great and difficult (laughs) illustration. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, the first part of your book uh, focuses on movements within, and the second part of the book focuses on movements without. Explain what the the differences are and how we impact others as we allow God's dream to become our own. I think one of the ways that that God works is he works from the inside out. Uh, The world works from the outside, and hopefully... It might get, it might work its way inward, but God always starts with the heart. So what He does is He transforms us, He changes us. So those first movements have everything to do with how God uh, shapes us, or how God forms our life, and how He He works in us to get us to the place where He can do uh, wonderful things uh, through us. So the movements without are more practical movements, because one of the things I believe is that you know you have us. Uh, there's a balance between what's spiritual, what's practical. You know, the very fact that we have a physical body, you know, we, we, we house our soul, you know, the body houses our souls. We have a soul, we have a spirit or whatever you want to call it. But then also we have a physical body to live our life. And so you have to have the spiritual and also you have to have the practical. And so part two, the moves without, it just kind of deals with the, the very practical things that you can do with what God has placed within your hands uh, to be able to, uh, uh, see him work and, and move and work miracles through those things. So, uh, you know, the, uh, movement five where it says from nothing to something, look at, look at some of the wonderful stories in the Bible. You know, here's Moses. He just has a rod. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, God's like, go, go to the, go to the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. The, 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 the strongest political strength in the world. And you tell them to release my people so they can go worship me. Moses like, what am I, what am I going to tell them? I don't, I don't have anything. I, what am I going to say? God said, what do you have in your hand? He said, I don't have anything in my hand but a rod. God says, that's all you need. And so God uses that rod that, that's in Moses' hands to work incredible miracles. But Moses would, Moses would have never thought in a million years that what he had in his hand had the power to be used by God to help deliver a nation. Just like, you know, we never think of what, God, what God's place in our hands has the power to, you know, we might not change a whole nation, but what about a neighborhood? What about a family? What about a school? What about a job? Well, you know, what about uh, your, your best friend? And so we have things in our hand that we never, ever thought God would, would, would use. And so we have to identify those things uh, with the help of God. And as we do, then we can say, okay, this is something I can believe that God wants to use to make a difference in the world around me. Well, the book is titled The Blessing Maker, How God Can Turn Your Nothing into Something and Your Something into Everything. And I'll tell you, the entire book is very practical. It helps us to understand how God works, how he wants to use us so that we can uh, not only draw closer to him, but be used by him in reaching out and ministering to others. Dr. Strong, always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for having us. It's always a joy to be here. Thank you so much. Uh By the way, the book is uh, published by um, Manger Books. Is is that right, Manger Books? Yes. And they can get on Amazon. Okay. Yeah.
All right, the blessing maker. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. Ten minutes after five o'clock is our time. I think we went a little long in our conversation, although I would like to have had another two or three segments. We'll have to remedy that next time. He's a prolific writer, and there are a couple of things I'd like to have him back to talk about. And I'm referring, of course, to uh, Dr. Mark Strong, the author most recently of The Blessing Maker, How to Turn Your Nothing into Something and Your Something into Everything. Great book to help motivate you to see how God works and then to come alongside and uh, see him work with you. Um, also, later this hour, we're going to talk with Jim Phillips. As you know, the uh, president announced that the Iran deal is uh, <clears throat> we are withdrawing from the Iran deal. It was uh, entered into by the president, uh, then Obama in 2015. It wasn't uh, ratified or accepted by the Senate, which is required constitutionally. So it wasn't a treaty. It was something else. It was sort of an executive thing, which gives the current executive the authority to just withdraw from it. We'll talk with Jim Phillips about what all of this means and what next. And we're also going to talk with Olivia Enos. She's a policy analyst in Asian studies at the Davis uh, Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. We'll talk about the three detainees. And I just read moments ago that they have arrived in Alaska, which is seems like an odd way to go from North Korea to Alaska. But anyway, they're heading home. <clears throat> They'll be in the United States proper, I guess, um, uh, 2 a.m. in Washington, D.C., President Trump announced that he will meet them when they deplane uh, early morning <clears throat> Eastern time, 2 o'clock a.m. in Washington. We'll talk with Olivia about what their release means in, in uh, the context of the uh, North Korean meeting with the United States president that's expected in the next couple of weeks. So a lot going on there. Portions of today's program, by the way, are brought to you by Zero Res. Well, Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a nonprofit public interest law firm that focuses on religious liberty and freedom issues, has been booted from Amazon Smile after the Southern Poverty Law Center deemed the law firm a hate group. Now, one of the things that the Southern Policy, uh, rather Southern Poverty Law Center has done most recently is to to label virtually any group that has religious ties as a hate group and have uh, wielded significant power as to who is accepted and who is rejected by some of these mainstream organizations. In a statement that was released on Thursday, Alliance Defending Freedom President Michael Ferris said the law firm has been excluded from the retail giants program, which donates a small portion of its purchases to the nonprofit of the customer's choice. Ferris said that the firm's exclusion is the result of Amazon's reliance on the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is an organization that has long been regarded as a glorified direct mail scam that profits from hate mongering. The Family Research Council has been on their list, among others. If you're going to rely on a discredited partisan organization like the SPLC to determine who is eligible to participate in Amazon Smile, you should disclose that in your policy and to your customers, he wrote in a letter to the retail giant. Your customers have a right to know that you've placed such an organization as the gatekeeper to participation in a charitable program. Well, the Southern Poverty Law Center has uh, come under fire for its shady financial practices, which includes shutting uh, min- uh, millions of dollars uh, to offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands, British uh, Virgin Islands, and Bermuda. Tax records show the organization has stockpiled nearly a half a billion dollars in assets, which spends more money on fundraising than it does actual legal work. The organization is famous for its... Uh, uh, is 
a hate list of organizations that it opposes. Uh, and they put uh, organizations like the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom and Family Research Council alongside white supremacists and other extremist groups. Their hate list inspired a gunman, you might recall, to shoot a, a guard at a family research council in 2013 with the intention of killing as many people as possible after the organization, the Christian organization, found itself on that infamous list. Well, ADF, uh, which is currently represented, uh, representing Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop before the Supreme Court, has reached out to the retailer in hopes that the firm can be re- uh, enlisted in the program. And while ADF is on the outs, Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider, is uh, an eligible Amazon Smile recipient, which gives you some indication of the kind of criterion they're looking for. Also, with the help of two more nationally known pro-life speakers, concerned Christians who want a statewide vote to halt state funding of abortion are making their final two-month push to meet a critical deadline. Um, This, according to Christian News Northwest, coming to Oregon to uh, speak at two special Speak Life events this month and next for Corvallis-based Oregon Life United's initiative campaign are Gianna Jessen uh, in Corvallis on the 20th of May and Ben, May the 21st, and Abby Johnson, May the 31st in The Dalles and June 1st in Lake Oswego. The two are going to tell their personal stories of what drew them into the pro-life movement. They also will encourage their audience to do all they can, all we can, to help Oregon Life United secure at least the required 117,578 valid signatures of registered voters in Oregon by June the 30th to place that initiative on the fall ballot. Now, that has not been the case for many, many years, says uh, Jeff Jemerson, the campaign director. This is something the people of Oregon want to see on the ballot, and now is our opportunity to see it happen. He and uh, Jessen and Johnson's appearance follow the January visit to Oregon by Mike Huckabee, TV personality and former Arkansas governor who endorsed the effort at three events. According to state records, more than 45,000 abortions have been funded with more than $23 million in state money uh, the last 14 fiscal years. And this would mean state funding would no longer uh, be possible under this uh, new arrangement. All right. Jim Phillips up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the president announced that the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action is no more. We have withdrawn from the Iran deal. The deal failed to live up to its original goal of the international community and failing to, um, well, come up with something else. France, Germany, the United Kingdom, three other signatories to the nuclear deal. They couldn't reach an acceptable agreement with Washington on how to correct the flaws. So the president has jettisoned the plan. Well, here to help clarify what this means moving forward forward and what plan there is uh, from the administration to uh, put pressure on Iran with regard to its nuclear program. Jim Phillips is Senior Research Fellow for Middle Eastern Affairs at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for inviting me, Georgine. It's always a pleasure to have you with us and to help us better understand what's happening. Well, the president announced that we are no longer going to, to live up to the Iran deal, which, by the way, Iran never actually signed on to. So I'm not sure what that makes it. But it didn't uh, live up to its, uh, its original promises. Maybe we should begin by just talking about what the deal was, what it was supposed to do, and why it was a good idea to withdraw. Well... Uh, The deal really should have been structured as a treaty, but the Obama administration knew that it couldn't get 
such an uh, agreement through the Senate. So it did it as uh, more as an ex- executive agreement. And Iran actually uh, defines it as a voluntary agreement. Uh, and that's why its official name is this uh, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Uh, so basically, Iran announced its plans. It said that it needed all kinds of facilities to enrich uranium uh, for supposedly a civilian program. Uh, but as we know, the Israeli documents have conf- uh, that the Israelis uh, uh, removed from Iran confirmed uh, Western suspicions that Iran did have a nuclear weapons program, not just a civilian program. Uh, and it was hiding its weapons program uh, uh, using the civilian nuclear program as a, a fig leaf. Uh, and the problem was the deal as it was structured uh, would have allowed Iran to ramp up uranium enrichment uh, as key restrictions expired over 10 to 15 years, and that would have left Iran in a much better position to make a final sprint to a nuclear breakout. And that's why uh, the president said that you know this deal was uh, uh, on extremely flawed and rotten foundations. Now, my understanding is at the at the end of the terms of the agreement, the United States would not be in a position to prevent Iran from moving forward to becoming a nuclear state. Well, Iran claims uh, that it it never had that intention, uh, but we know it's it's repeatedly violated its nuclear nonproliferation commitments. Uh, So uh, given that, uh, you know, the whole. Uh, structure of the deal was based on the uh, kind of the lie that it was a civilian program. No one really should have expected uh, Iran to fulfill its commitments at, at the end. And uh, once you know, even President Obama admitted that it, towards the end of the deal, Iran would be creeping right up to the line uh, where it could cross the threshold in very little time. Uh, you know, the IAEA at that point would have realized that it was violating the agreement, but it would have had such a large and rich uranium stockpile and so many uh, centrifuges that would have further enriched it that it could have crossed the line very quickly. Now, there are other problems as well. The ballistic missiles, and this isn't addressed in the Iran deal, but there are relevant U.N. Security Council resolutions that theoretically limit the reach and the development of Iran's nuclear program. Can you talk a little bit about that element, which, again, is not part of the nuclear deal, but certainly left um, Iran in a position where they uh, certainly have not regarded the U.N. Security Council resolutions and uh, could be much further along to having a delivery system for a nuclear program they'd likely have at the end of this uh, uh, this agreement. Right. You know, Iran has the largest ballistic missile force in the Middle East. Uh, Israel's is more sophisticated, but Iran is bigger. And the, uh, one of the logical fallacies of that ballistic missile program is uh, at very long ranges, that program was not logical unless it was married with uh, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, that is a nuclear, chemical, or other uh, 
non-conventional payloads. Uh, otherwise, you know, it was crazy to try to hit targets if it's just, uh, you know, given the the imprecise uh, nature of the delivery system, uh, unless it was a big weapon. Uh, but n- nonetheless, uh, the Obama administration agreed to diluting a UN Security Council resolution which required Iran to halt ballistic missile tests. And in the, in the UN Security Council resolution that enshrined the uh, 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 nuclear agreement, uh, that uh, uh, prohibition was watered down uh, so that Iran could st- uh, test uh, missiles. It was called upon not to, but there were no penalties for doing so. So despite the fact that the, the Obama administration uh, uh, agreed to give I- Iran uh, a free pass on the, the missile question. Uh, it simultaneously agreed to downgrade the penalties against that, uh, the missile prohibition to just a slap on the wrist. Hmm, penalties that clearly they could live with. The third element that comes to mind is the terrorism. Uh, Iran's support for terror terror was out of that deal. Um, they have been uh, they've been sponsoring terror uh, proxies in Syria, in hmm. Lebanon, in Gaza, Yemen, Bahrain and elsewhere. That's not an element that was a part of the Iran deal, nor UN um, uh, Security Council sanctions or anything else, to my knowledge. Where does that leave us in view of, of all of this? Yeah, um, yeah, it would have been difficult to get Iran to agree to negotiate on that because it defines its support for terrorism as resistance against uh, hostile enemies. Uh, but And that's an ideological uh, definition. Uh, but the problem with the nuclear deal was it gave... Iran's uh, billions of dollars of sanctions relief that Iran turned around and invested in its terrorist uh, surrogate net- network. Not only Hezbollah, but kind of a foreign legion of other Shiite militias from Iraq, Pakistan, and Afghanistan that fought in Syria under the uh, under the guidance of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guards. Uh, and that was another aspect of the nuclear deal uh, that was very negative from the U.S. point of view, the fact that it strengthened Iran financially, economically, and militarily. And, and since the deal was signed, Iran stepped up its intervention in Syria, stepped up uh, arms to a number of groups, including the Houthi rebels in Yemen that are firing missiles at Saudi cities. Uh, as well as Hamas and Hezbollah that threaten uh, Israel and many uh, other of our allies. So I guess the question is, what next? Um, We've stepped away from that agreement. It seems to me it was in our best interest to do so. Uh, There's a lot of talk now about uh, fuel prices going up. What should the United States or what has the administration indicated they're prepared to do now to meet our ultimate end, and that is to have an Iran that is not a nuclear power? Well, I think in a, a little notice, 
the ending of uh, President Trump's speech, uh, he noted that the Iran's leaders have refused to negoti- renegotiate the deal. But he said that uh, over time they would be under tremendous pressure to do so, and that when they decided to do so, he would be willing to reopen negotiations. Uh, so I think that the, by slapping sanctions back on, uh, particularly after the January popular protests in Iran against the regime because of its misplaced economic priorities. The administration uh, is putting the ball back in Iran's court, and this time it's redefining the game uh, to work with the Iranian people against the regime. So with the ball being in in, uh, Iran's court, Uh, with our European allies uh, now saying that they're going to stay in the deal while the United States has has stepped away. Um, What do you think is we can expect in the the days ahead? Well, I think although the Europeans may try to preserve their trade ties and investments in Iran, that uh, that will be unsustainable because sooner or later Iran uh, will start up its nuclear program again. Uh, and as sanctions bite further, uh, it the, the regime will face uh, increased resentment and protest from its own people and uh, possible uh, military confrontation with the U.S. So I think uh, there'll be a lot of pressure on the regime to re-enter negotiations and Hopefully, the uh, the Europeans uh, will be encouraging them to do that. Well, we'll certainly watch with interest to see how um, the United States responds and uh, whether or not there are additional sanctions, how the communication goes back and forth uh, moving ahead. Jim Phillips, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Georgie. Again, Jim Phillips is Senior Research Fellow for Middle Eastern Affairs at the Heritage Foundation. Just talking about the uh, uh, the fact that the president has ended the Iran nuclear deal, um, uh, warning that the flawed 2015 agreement needed to be ended or mended. They couldn't arrive at a mend, so it ended. We'll talk uh, more about that in the days ahead as we see what happens next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Olivia Enos. She is the uh, she is a policy analyst, rather, in Asian studies at the uh, Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. We're going to talk about the three U.S. Uh, citizens that have been released from North Korea. They'll be arriving back here in the United States within hours. More on that when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, today, North Korea released three Americans that had been held for more than a year. Kim Dong-chul, Tony Kim, also known as Kim Sang-duk, and Kim Hak-song, three Americans, will be home today at about 11 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. It was a goodwill gesture, we're told, ahead of the highly anticipated U.S.-North Korea summit. And here to join us to talk about what this may mean and how we might uh, interpret uh, this decision on the part of the North Koreans ahead of that meeting, Olivia Enos joins us. She's a policy analyst in Asian Study Iraq rather, at the Asian Study Center at the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. First of all, let me ask you, how significant is it that the North Korean government has released these three Americans ahead of the uh, the summit 
that's going to take place at some point at the end of this month or early June? As you indicated, this is a positive sign of well. I think this is the sort of first step, if you will, in demonstrating that North Korea might be serious about negotiating this time. And I think, frankly, it should send a message to U.S. negotiators who are thinking through what the U.S. strategy will be for the upcoming summit and perhaps embolden them to raise some of the human rights issues that they might have previously been reluctant to raise. Because the release of the three Americans seems to indicate that North Korea is sensitive and even responsive when it receives criticism on human rights grounds. You uh, make the point in a, a, a column that you wrote for uh, Forbes magazine that at the inter-Korean summit, the South Korean representatives purposefully left out human rights on their agenda. And then you remind your reader that President Trump took a different approach. He used his State of the Union address and the presence of North Korean defector uh, Ji Seong-ho to highlight Pyongyang's shameful human rights record. How much do you think that approach contributed to what we're witnessing today? Well, I definitely think and I certainly hope that human rights is a part of the Trump administration's broader strategy toward North Korea. It would be really inconsistent for the Trump administration to have raised human rights, as you mentioned, at the State of the Union. President Trump has met with uh, North Korean refugees in the Oval Office and even, of course, Fred Warmbier, Otto Warmbier's father, participated in the U.S. Olympic delegation uh, to Korea earlier this year with Vice President Pence. And this rhetorical commitment to human rights should be followed up with an actual next step, an action item that the U.S. government asks North Korea to deliver on. And I think that there's a number of potential action items they could ask for. For example, they could ask for the release of children and families from prison camps, or they could ask uh, for North Korea to grant humanitarian access uh, to the International Committee for the Red Cross or U.N. agencies to these prison camps. But, you know, one of the things that's so interesting about these negotiations is that the U.S. is willing to ask for denuclearization, which is a really big ask and pretty unlikely to be delivered in one summit meeting. Why not make a big ask on human rights, like requesting that North Korea shut down a prison camp or a a set of prison camps? I think that we should go for the really big, high-dollar items, because this is a really unique opportunity to engage with the Kim regime. Absolutely. And just to remind our listeners, uh, Otto Warmbier, he was uh, uh, in Pyongyang, held there. He was a University of Virginia student. He returned to the United States in a comatose state. He died just days later. He'd been sentenced to 15 years hard labor in a political prison camp for allegedly defacing a propaganda uh, poster. That really rose, uh, raised the uh, the profile of uh, what happens uh, to certainly U.S. citizens, but others who are detained in uh, North Korea. What can you tell us about these three Americans uh, who have been held for uh, and charged uh, rather seriously uh, in North Korea? Well, President Trump gave us the good news that it seems like, unlike Otto Warmbier, who, as you mentioned, came back in a comatose state, the three Americans seem to be in good health, which is really encouraging. Um, All three of them are Korean Americans. Um, At least two of them worked at the Pyongyang University of Science and Technology, even if just for a brief, short period of time. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that all of them are uh, Christians. And so I think this is, you know, certainly a really interesting fact because the regime 
frequently targets uh, Christians, and in particular, I I always find this very shocking, but um, whether you're a North Korean citizen or a foreigner, mere possession of a Bible can land three generations of your family in a political prison camp. Three generations. Mm. Three generations. And you know, it's it's not just possession of a Bible. It's watching South Korean dramas, or even this is absolutely ridiculous. But all uh, North Koreans are required to have a picture of Kim Jong Un and uh, Kim Il Sung, his uh, great grandfather. Um, they have to be actually up on the wall, and if it gets dusty, even somebody can report that to the local officials and then people, three generations of their family can be sent to a prison camp, which is absolutely unbelievable that, uh, you know, for, for such a minor offense, someone could be sent, basically have a life sentence, a death sentence, um, just for, for these types of activities. Now, as we mentioned, the, um, uh, the, Korean summit that's going to take place between the President of the United States and Kim Jong-un within the next uh, several weeks is a a, a tremendous opportunity. Um, The fact that these three Americans were released, uh, do you think that will have an impact or does it reflect the seriousness in which these negotiations are being entered in by North Korea? Or as some would suggest, this is just another means by which the North Korean dictator uh, will try to deceive the Americans into giving something up or getting something from the Americans moving forward? Yeah, it, it's definitely a good sign, but, you know, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Mm-hmm. It could be a good sign that North Korea holds some of the obligations further down the road as we begin negotiations, but it is not the first time that North Korea has returned hostages, nor the first time that it has used American hostages as a bargaining chip. And I think, you know, the U.S. needs to discourage North Korea, one, from detaining Americans in the future. Olivia Enos, she's a policy analyst in Asian study at the Asian Study Center, rather, at the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. Appreciate her joining us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I just have to say before I uh, get into a couple of things here, uh, what a joy it was to spend the last couple of days with Dan Rice celebrating our 36th wedding anniversary. You can go to uh, the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. Um, there's a, couple, a picture of us uh, celebrating if you'd like to check that out. Anyway, 36 years, it's been a, a pleasure. We're looking forward to however many more God gives us. In fact, one of the things we talked about during our time together was the fact that we weren't sure we were going to celebrate our 36th wedding anniversary. And we are so grateful that God has given us this opportunity and we trust him for each day. We don't have any promise to us. We trust him for each one and are grateful for the ones Uh, that we get to enjoy together. So thank you. uh, So many of you offered uh, congratulations and best wishes and prayers and so on. Really appreciated that. It was a real blessing. We talked with uh, Olivia Enos uh, just before the break, and we talked about the three Americans, all of whom were Christians, by the way, are Christians, I should say, released by North Korea, making their way home right now. Uh, Just an exciting development. I was reminded, however, of uh, Pastor Andrew Brunson. We often hear him referred to as Pastor Andrew. Um, And you can go to the ACLJ's website for continuous updates on 
uh, his condition and what happens next. He has a second hearing coming up later this month. And uh, we're hoping that some movement can be made. But uh, one quick uh, update. Andrew Brunson has been uh, ministering in Izmir, Turkey, for nearly a quarter of a century before it was uh, changed. It all changed in 2016. This American pastor was arrested. He was thrown in jail without knowing his charges and without bail. Uh, When his trial finally started last month, you might recall he learned that he had been charged of fueling unrest in the country through alleged involvement with exile cleric. Uh, Fatullah Gulan and the uh, Kurdistan Workers Party, which is an insurgent group. Well, both movements are seen as enemies and threats to the Turkish government. Well, Brunson is the Christian prawn in uh, Turkish President Erdogan's political schemes. That's at least how it's being characterized by Brian Stiller. He's the global ambassador for World Evangelical Alliance. Turkey wants the United States to extradite uh, Gulan, making Brunson's nationality a bonus for the regime. Uh, He suggested, well, while Pastor Brunson's faith isn't the only reason that he's been singled out by the Turkish community, it does reinforce the fact that Turkey is a hard place for Christians to practice their faith. So as you're thinking about and praying for uh, those who are persecuted for their faith, uh, remember those who serve Christ in Turkey. It's a country of 150 churches in a state that is 80 million people. Um, it's a small minority. You're persecuted in many social and psychological ways, Mr. Stiller says. And of course, Pastor Brunson, who was visibly shaken uh, at his first trial when they postponed making any kind of a decision and simply said, you're going to uh, uh, be before us again in another month. Uh, we need to remember to pray for him as well. This geopolitical context has landed this prison, this minister rather, in prison. Also in uh, other news, for 34 years, Walt Disney World has hosted a Night of Joy. It's an event that featured Christian music artists, and the park has now canceled it. Now, we don't know all the details behind it, but it does certainly raise an eyebrow. A spokeswoman for the park reportedly confirmed to the Orlando Sentinel that last year was our last event, adding that the decision was made in the interest of continually changing our offerings. The Facebook page for the Night of Joy has also been deleted. The resort has hosted the Christian concerts in September since 1983, mostly in the Magic Kingdom, but with two years at Disney's Hollywood Studios and at ESPN Worldwide of Sports, or rather Wide World of Sports Complex, for its final two years. Well, famed Christian musical artists like Stephen Curtis Chapman, Amy Grant, Newsboys, Casting Crowns, Chris Tomlin, Kirk Franklin, Michael W. Smith, Debbie Boone, they've all performed at the Night of Joy over the years. Well, the signs for its decline began to show last year when Hurricane Irma forced it to cancel Uh, After just one night, despite the cancellation, Disney World's Epcot Center uh, will still host the annual Eat to the Beat concert featuring Christian artists Mercy Me and Torrin Wells. Well, the park's West Coast twin, Disneyland, has surprisingly continued a Christian tradition since the 1950s. Whatever the reason for its mainstay, once a year, Disneyland actually holds a candlelight ceremony where choirs sing classic Christmas carols and someone reads the nativity story from Luke's Gospel. Well, this past year's candlelight ceremony featured Thor actor Chris uh, Hemsworth reading the gospel. Past narratives included Darth Vader's voice, James Earl Jones, Dick Van Dyke, uh, Jennifer Goodwin, whose vocal talents uh, could be heard in Zootopia. So the uh, 34-year tradition at uh, Walt Walt Disney's World has canceled their Christian music festival. And again, I don't want to read too much into it, but it is a sad development, and there are questions being raised as to 
why. Also, you are cordially invited to reserve your free 2018 Hymn Sing General Admission tickets. You have a second opportunity to attend the East Side Hymn Sing. That's coming up this Saturday. A great opportunity to bring mom as you anticipate Mother's Day. But this is our second Hymn Sing. It's going to be held on Saturday, May the 12th at New Hope Church Auditorium. That's on Southeast Stevens Road in Happy Valley, beginning at 6 o'clock p.m. Now, the Hymn Sing will feature uh, members of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree Choir, and uh, it's it's going to be, as it was last weekend, a great opportunity to sing the great hymns of the faith and sing them all together. Now, Hymn Sing isn't a concert. For the most part, we sing together, and it's always thrilling to hear the instruments drop, the choir back off just a bit, and to hear the congregation sing, and you hear all the parts that you rarely hear these days. You hear the bass all the way to the first sopranos singing their parts, and it's a, it's a thrill. And as I've mentioned here before, probably ad nauseum. It's all, it always brings tears to my eyes, as it did this last weekend. Now, there's an opportunity to be a part of a chicken dinner that's offered prior to each hymn sing. Dinner begins at 4.30, and the cost of the dinner is $10 per person, and it's really good food, folks. And that can be purchased when you reserve your general admission or preferred seating tickets for the hymn sing. Now, again, you're reserving free tickets for general admission, so check that out. So you can call 503-557-8733. You can Google the Portland Singing Christmas Tree, and you'll find a link to the hymn sing there as well. But again, that's coming up this Saturday. This is the second hymn sing, uh, first on the west side, this time around on the east side at New Hope Church in the auditorium on Southeast Stevens Road in Happy Valley. Uh, Again, the tickets are free, but you do need to have general admission free tickets available. And there is that opportunity for dinner beforehand at 430. Again, call 503-557-8733, or you can Google Portland Singing Christmas Tree. And we want to let you know, as time is uh, drawing to a close, that a Christian education for your child might still be possible. KPDQ listeners can save up to 40% on Christian school tuition at listenersavings.com. Now, schools include Northwest Heritage Academy, West Hills Christian School, Western Mennonite, Tualatin Valley Academy, Grandview Kids Day, Camp, and Little Fishes Preschool. So check that out on the website, listenersavings.com. We keep adding new schools, new tuitions, so stay tuned. Get your discount. Uh, visit listenersavings.com. So that's uh, something we want to make sure you check out. Also want to remind you that coming up on May the 18th, Prayer Connection with Dr. Mark Jones. That's coming up again on May the 18th and 19th, I should say. It's Friday and Saturday at Central Bible Church on Northeast Gleason here in Portland. It starts at 7 o'clock p.m. on Friday. The doors will open at 6.30 and then on Saturday, May the 19th from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. This is an extension of Mission Connection with a focus on prayer. Uh, Dr. Jones is an elder and the prayer pastor at City Bible Church here in Portland. He's taught personal evangelism, prayer in the local church at uh, um, Bible uh, Portland Bible College and adult education at City Bible Church. He's presented his personal growth seminar, Right Wrong Thinking, both locally and in churches nationwide. Along with raising four children, he and his wife, they oversee the prayer ministries department at City Bible Church. In addition to uh, uh, him being the uh, keynote, Dr. Mark Jones being the keynote speaker, the plenary speaker, if you will. There are also breakout sessions. You'll have an opportunity to choose from 
I think you have uh, 10 workshop sessions, uh, very practical leaders to choose from, three plenary sessions with one powerful speaker. And as I um, discuss with, uh, who did I have in the studio to talk about that last week, there's going to be as much time set aside for prayer as there is talk about it. So this is going to be a great opportunity not only to take notes and learn some things about this great invitation we have to engage uh, our culture through prayer, to have access to the throne of grace through prayer, there's going to be time to actually do that. Um, as much time devoted to praying as talking. So make note of that. Discounted prices for groups still available and opportunities to meet with others with a similar heart um, can, uh, can, will be gathering together. There's also going to be a time at the end uh, to conclude with a special worship and prayer uh, gathering. Uh, at 6 p.m. for Compassion to Actions um, efforts. So all of that coming up at the Mission Connection, Prayer Connection um, track. And again, that's coming up on the 18th and 19th of May at uh, Central Bible Church. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. In the meantime, have a good night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.